Currency. Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston, and I am happy to be here. I hope you are too. I've got a really interesting guest today. His name is Gary Rosenfeld, and he is a principal at Alant Group. We're going to get into a little bit of what he does, but I'm excited to have him on today because Gary's going to talk to us about a unique approach that he's developed to data. Essentially, he is taking story and layering it over the top of data to make it more useful. So let me tell you a little bit about Gary before we say hello. Gary's a marketing strategist, entrepreneur, and solutions analyst. He's got a passion for enabling companies to stop relying on hunches and to start making strategic marketing decisions with cutting-edge data analytics. Uh, Gary manages analysts and research for Alant Group, and he's a principal there. He uh, oversees insights, advanced analytical efforts for national B2B and B2C clients. He brings strategic marketing campaign effectiveness mindset to every client as he uncovers high ROI product and operational opportunities for his clients by mining business intelligence. And we all know that BI is a big deal. Gary's uh, not only a principal at Alant Group, but he's... he started his own business in the past. He's just done a lot of stuff. He's worked with Allstate Insurance, USAA, Harris Bank, Midas International, and so on. He's also uh, uh, one of the members of a group that won a Silver Effie Award for the Trust the Midas Touch campaign. So, folks, join me in welcoming Gary Rosenfeld. Gary, welcome to The Currency. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to take some time and speak with us. I'm, I'm really interested in this topic. I'm excited. You and I had a little conversation last week, not really about the topic, but just to get familiarized with the podcast. Sure. I didn't want to get too much into the details because this is just so interesting to me. I want to make sure that this was uh, kind of a fresh reveal for when we, <laughs> we talked. So before we get into this idea of using the power of narrative and story for what I'll call big data, and you'll correct me with better terms, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about Alant Group and what you do there. Sure, sure, sure. So Alant, I guess the best way to characterize what we do is we're kind of a, a data technology analytics and strategy company. And I know that's kind of a mouthful, but you know we use one or more of those four things that I listed there to basically help companies grow their business, whether it's get new customers or have their current customers create more value or um, you know win back lost customers or understand, you know, what motivates them to behave the way they do. Um, we have a team of data scientists, obviously. We have access to uh, you know, data that we have here that we aggregate that kind of helps us craft that analytical output you know, that a, a client may, may ask us to assist with. So it's really fairly broad. Um, and basically what we do kind of covers the entire what you would say the customer life cycle, you know, whether it's acquisition, you know, obviously growing more customers or um, uh, increasing the value that those customers provide, as as I mentioned, or keeping customers, you know, on the books and engaged and uh, also, you know, winning back any customers that may have lost, which, you know, inevitably happens. So anything that we do from an analytic perspective or a strategy perspective is really meant to kind of address one of those particular types of issues or challenges that these businesses tend to tend to face. Now, are you helping your customers gather data or are they coming to you with data and you're helping them make sense of it? Or are you doing both? Both, actually. So uh, for the most part, a lot of the things we do includes data that the client will bring to us. And that could be transactional information that they may have on their customers. Right. Um, but we also have our own 
third-party data assets, as we call them, which includes demographics and attitudes and, and behaviors and perceptions and propensity to do things, right? So we have all that information that is kind of at the ready, um, which we will use as needed depending on the engagement that we're talking about. No, that helps. And I, yeah. I know from years of marketing, one of the biggest, I mean, we've been hearing about, you know, for decades, you know, big data is coming and there's been a lot of excitement. We've been able to collect data for many years, but the problem has always been, what do we do with it? Like, how do I make sense of all this information? Mm-hmm. And I know that now with the power of algorithms and there's a lot that we can do to take advantage of the data, but what's the more typical way these days that companies harvest meaning from this information because you can have billions of data points and not know what to do with it. (laughs) Yes. And to be honest, that's kind of the issue at hand, right? So as you and anybody else have noticed clearly that the amount of data available to any one company has just grown exponentially over the last several years and and will continue to do so, particularly with the introduction of digital data, right? What are they doing online? What pages are they visiting? How are they engaging there? Are they opening emails? And what are they reading? And what are they clicking? So that amount of data is incredibly overwhelming. And not all of it is relevant. Some of it's important. And it really kind of depends on what you're trying to do or what you're trying to understand, right? So really, the basis for the usage of any kind of data is you have to have at least a solid kind of foundational understanding of the state of the business that you're in, right? And and where those challenges lie, right? Otherwise, if you just kind of like, oh, I have this bucket of data here, what do I do with it? It's an, it's an impossible question to answer, right? There's too much of it. Um, it's not all connected. Um, and some of it is relevant depending on what your, your issue is, right? So really the first piece in kind of digesting and using that data is narrowing down the scope of what it is you're trying to either solve or understand or optimize, right? So there's no one kind of answer of here's the best practices from a data perspective. That that's just silly. It depends on what we're talking about here. So you know the the broad array of clients that we deal with have a broad array of issues and challenges, and how we use the data and what data we use to begin with is really dependent on what specifically we're talking about. Are you typically working with the CMOs of these organizations? What what's the role that you folks? engage with most we, yeah, commonly? I would say most of the time we're engaged with the marketing group. And it may not be the CE, the CMO right from the start. It may be the folks that report up to the CMO who are kind of responsible for, you know, understanding the dynamics of the business and reporting back to the CMO, like what's happening and what we should do about it, right? So we'll typically go a little bit under the CMO level to kind of begin that engagement. Um, and then once we progress through the analysis, for lack of a better term, um, it tends to get raised up the flagpole to the you know to the higher end stakeholders. And, and what's the typical thing that that triggers the engagement? Because I could see like uh, on the C level, someone says we've got a strategy to leverage our data, so we're going to reach out to a group. But it sounds like if you're starting lower than that level, there's some pain somewhere that you're being brought in to help with. Yeah, and it's it's usually pretty specific. For example, it could be something as specific as the last campaign we did did not perform particularly well. You know, the response rate was really bad. Or I have a report that shows that um, our customer defection rates have increased, you know, in the last two years. 
you know, or the uh, amount of spend that somebody is, you know, contributing to the bottom line has declined. It's usually something specific as that, or occasionally can also be more broad, where it's just like, you know, um, we need to get a better handle on who our customers are, what makes them unique, um, you know, how can we uh, adjust how we engage with them based on their specific characteristics? Um, you know, Alant, please come and help us understand that and, you know, answer those questions. No, that helps. I yeah. want to make sure I wasn't making any assumptions. The nope. data is such a, it's such a sexy topic in some ways. <laughs> I mean, this, the, the concept of data, you know, we think of ones and zeros on a disk somewhere is boring. But, uh-huh. but big data and, and having access to data is exciting yes. for marketers. And um, I feel like sometimes the phrases just get thrown around and people really, we don't know what we're really talking about when we say data. <laughs> so this helps kind of concretize and put a little context to it. Yeah. So, so you were talking earlier about having to narrow down the scope. You have to really know what is the answer, you know, what question are we really trying to answer to mm-hmm. be able to figure out how to approach the data. Right. You also alluded to something before, and I just want to follow up on that real quick. What do you do in companies where you have multiple systems providing data? I know this gets a little technical. Yeah. But um, not every company has one system and it's all clean. How do you work yeah, with multiple it. sources? <laughs> that is um, the, that is the, the rule as opposed to the exception, right? So most of the time, I want to say, since I'm an analyst, I'm going to be specific, you know, specific here. 99.67% <laughs> of the time, um, <laughs> there is um, multiple sources that are feeding data, right? So there's there's a couple of ways that we can deal with that, right? So we we do analytics, as I, as I had mentioned, and we ingest data from many different sources, whether it's from us or, or from the client. Um, but we also have a technology arm to what we do, right? So if we find that there is a fundamental data issue in terms of the governance of that data and the housing and hosting of that data and the hygiene or the cleanliness of that data, there are things that we can do to address that, right? Um, But I view those as kind of two separate things, um, you know, depending on what we're being engaged to do, right? We have the ability to take in data regardless of kind of where it sits on the client side um, and we, there, are, there have been times, admittedly, where the clients often struggle to give us the data that we need just from the own kind of issues within their own technology. We can address that in other future engagements, right? But we can kind of assist in understanding and explaining you know, what it is we need, and it's really up to them to kind of provide it to us. Um, but if it becomes an issue later on, then that's something that we can deal with. But it rarely is there ever a situation where we can't get to the information that we need, even though it may be kind of a pain uh, on the client side. But uh, we can ingest data from all different sources regardless. So I said earlier you've got this unique approach. You're, you're layering or you're leveraging story or narrative to help the data make sense. Before we get to that, yeah. I want to just kind of close the loop so someone brings you in or they could bring in someone like Elon Group. What you're talking about so far, I think, is block and tackle expertise that a that a analytics company has to bring to the table to be able to use data, correct? Correct, yes. So what I want to close the loop on is what is more typical in your industry? Now I've gone through the process of narrowing down. I've cleaned the data. I've made it useful. Mm -hmm. We've identified the problem uh, that we're trying to solve. What's the more typical approach when you've got a set of data to to leverage it to answer a question? What do folks usually do? Yeah, um, so it's, it's a broad question, and you know, of course, the answer is going to be broad. So I'm going to try to try to make it as as clear as possible without being, you know, too generalized, right? 
there is kind of a, um, a habit, I guess, or a legacy from an analytical perspective that in order to kind of prove your worth as an analytics firm, you need to present all sorts of fancy charts and do all sorts of super advanced analytical exercises like, you know, predictive modeling or, you know, uh, building an algorithm to predict what the next purchase is likely to be or, you know, determining when the optimal time to send an email is or those kinds of things, right? And those are all important um, and part of kind of the, the, the bag of tricks, I guess, you know, that an analytics firm may have, right? And um, as I'd mentioned, there is kind of this need to show how sophisticated you are through the analytics that you do. And that hmm. kind of need tends to manifest itself in how this data or the analytical output is shared and um, how the data visualizations are built and how it's kind of explained. You know, uh, I've seen many, many times where, and because I've been on the client side of the world, you know, and who's engaged companies that I work for now in similar situations where they'll like get into the statistics of how they built a particular model and what the actual, you know, algorithm is and what are the coefficients and what are the error, you know, rates and all these other kind of crazy statistical stuff that nobody cares about. And they spend a great deal of time talking about that, but they tend to miss out as to why we did this particular exercise and what does it mean you know, in reality, right? So a lot of the information or presentation or decks that I've seen and been exposed to are complex um, and they assume a certain level of sophistication on the client side, which isn't always there, right? You need to understand that statisticians kind of have a, a skill set, you know, that's unique to them and it's many years of schooling and that it's been honed over many years of experience and not everybody has that. And not all of that kind of detail is necessarily relevant. It, tend to, it tends to kind of cloud whatever it is you're trying to tell because you get stuck on, you know, the, too much of the stats and the details behind those kinds of things. So that's what I've seen over the years as kind of the typical output from an analytical exercise. And um, it aggravates me <laughs> to be completely transparent because I can tell and have – and again, I've been in that situation where I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what they're talking about. What does this mean? I don't care what the coefficient of this particular model is. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Help me describe that situation. Take that analytical output and explain it to me in layman's terms is basically what I'm kind of trying to say. But we, have, we don't do that very often, right? And that's, that's an issue. And as data becomes more plentiful, right, and more kind of sophisticated, there is kind of this tendency to get even more complicated in the way it's presented. And I think that's just the wrong direction to go in. It's really interesting. As you were talking, you were bringing me back many years to when the web was new. And being on the agency side myself, we would witness a lot of these meetings where you're sitting with a client. Um, you've brought, like, you know, we're an agency, this is pre uh, agencies doing websites. So we'd bring in some web dev guys, and the, the jargon and the language was so intimidating and so confusing. <laughs> yeah. That really, you just felt like these guys are the smartest in the room and we just have to do whatever they say because we don't understand. Mm -hmm. That was the web, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Now, anybody, your CEO could throw up a Squarespace site uh, on the weekend mm -hmm. 
and uh, update it. It looked professional. It's amazing how consumerized that's become. But it just as you're talking about the way data is presented, it reminded me of those early days of web when it was just a mystery and it was clouded in jargon and impenetrable. Absolutely. So, so knowing that that's not good for the client, the customer, uh, and and you said it bothers you, and I, I love hearing <laughs> that. Like this upset you, you you know. You've developed this unique approach. Talk a little bit about this approach, and and, and I'd like to know how you got there, how you, how you found it. Yeah, so um, honestly, if I, I think the best way to answer that question, at least from my own perspective, is to kind of just quickly kind of go through my past experience because I think it's relevant to how I'm kind of where I am today. If yeah, that's all right, please so do. Sure. you can kind of divide my career up into kind of two different parts, right? So I kind of started out as a kind of a classic, you know, database marketer. You know, I had my my big old com- my, my computer terminal. I had my gigantic SAS manuals, you know, and I was, you know, coding and building models and doing segmentation and on running queries and frequencies and all that other wonderful stuff, right? That kind of explains the, 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 the what is going on, you know, in the world, right? And I did that for, I want to say, you know, 10 or 15 years or so. Um, but I was lucky enough to kind of stay within the kind of the marketing world, but move over to more of a kind of a primary consumer research role. And that's what I was doing at Midas. And that was very different, but related because rather than kind of getting into the advanced statistics and coding, this was all about understanding the motivations of consumers and what makes them tick and why they behave the way they do. Okay. And I found that fascinating. And one of the things I kind of noticed along the way is that the merger of those two disciplines is not particularly well defined out in the world and, you know, and done. And it's not very common. You know, the analytics explains the what, right? The research, primary research display, it kind of explains the why, right? And that's, you put those two together and now you actually have a story, right? You, here's what happened and here's why it happened. That's really the, the most simple version of a story that you can possibly tell, right? So as I've kind of gone through my career, landed here at Alant, and now this really gives me the opportunity to kind of merge those two disciplines together. And that was kind of the basis for kind of how I like to present the information or analytical output that we do is not just explain what we did and what it means and what it is describing, but how does that actually translate into a human and what does this mean for them and how would this impact them and how would this impact their behavior? Right. So it takes we're basically going from a big spreadsheet of data to a person. Right. And that's ultimately what we're all of this is about. Right. Every piece of information out there is meant to either describe a person or describe something that they did. Right. I think everything would fall under that. And just kind of throughout the trajectory of my whole career, merging those two things together and telling that story is ultimately where we want to be at the end of the day. That's ultimately where like all of marketing is going to, right? The whole notion of personalization, right? The whole notion of getting more information about how these people are behaving out in the world. At the end of the day, all of that is meant to paint a picture of a person or a group of people, right? And the most extreme example I can come up with is, um, did you ever see the movie Minority Report? I think it's like maybe 10 years old. Oh, yeah. And there's that scene where like Tom Cruise is walking down the street and something like, you know, measured his eyeball. And then it was like, hey, turn left here, you know, for an ice cream cone. We know you want one, right? That's kind of like the most extreme <laughs> case of taking information and using it to very personalize, you know, this, the, the experience that Mr. Cruise had to, you know, was, you know, looked like he wanted to have. Right now that I hope we never get to that point, but 
<laughs> if we do, if we do, I'm in right. trouble. I will never be able to leave the house because I'll be 300 pounds. Right. That's, exactly. Uh, I always want that ice right. cream. It, you're right. I was going to. It's a good point. I mean, you, I'm as simple of a person as you could possibly get. There's probably just a few things that I do online, and you can pretty much tell my whole story. But that being said, it's like that's really an extreme example of what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is how to take those kind of advanced techniques and that crazy amount of data and personalize it and turn it into something that everybody can understand because every business is in business to deal with humans and have get them to do something, whether it's to, to buy something or to visit a store or whatever. That's ultimately where we are all trying to get. So um, in my mind, it's like, well, why don't we describe what we did in those terms? Um, that way there's not kind of no ambiguity and no need necessarily for sure. the client to kind of make that leap. So that's kind of what started that whole process, you know, of kind of talking about it from a story perspective. So when I hear, when I hear you talking about this, so the traditional model is, you know, this really complex, impressive report with lots of data and charts, I'm guessing, and, and technical terms, you're saying I'm delivering, uh, we're taking all this data and we're creating a person out of it. When I hear that, I tend to go to, oh, you, you must be creating a persona, right? It's like a, eight and a half by 11 with a little photo. And this is Susie and Susie has three pets. And, but I'm guessing that's not correct, but what is the deliverable? And I don't mean in a technical, like in your contract, what's mm -hmm, deliverable, mm -hmm. but like, what does this look like to me sitting as a customer on the other side of the table? Yeah, it's, that, it's a good question. And, um, I don't know if I want to think about it necessarily in terms of a deliverable. And cause when I think of deliverable, I immediately go to, what slides are in your PowerPoint deck? Right? Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And, uh, that's I, fair. I'm just trying to get my yeah, mind around like what, what form does this right, take like, so I can. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're asking like, what are you talking about, Gary? Explain what you mean. So let's do, <laughs> let, let's do that. Let me just tell you what I'm not talking about. I am not talking about data visualization, right? I'm not talking about how to take a complex piece of information and turn it into a cool chart with a bunch of circles and arrows. That's not what I mean. Okay, this, fair right, enough. This is about how you explain and conceptualize and lay out the issue and the tasks that were done to address it, okay? It's less about what's necessarily in your PowerPoint deck as opposed to how that PowerPoint deck is organized and how you explain what was done, okay? The best, I think a good analogy that I, that I just thought of is um, going back to kind of the whole movie example thing is that the actually here's a good one uh, Star Wars right so I view some of the kind of the, the, what is it the, the the third set of movies in the Star Wars series like the worst ones that everybody hates and the reason is because like the CGI was like so overwhelming and had nothing to do with anything and it was just there to make it look cool to me the data and the charts are the CGI of the story and they have to be used you know judiciously right if you just you know, throw out a bunch of charts and tables and make them look all fancy and colorful and flashy. That's all well and good, but it does it actually, you know, move the story forward. In my, what I, in my experience, it tends to kind of cloudy it up because they kind of get hung up on those kinds of things and miss the underlying basis of what actually is being discussed. So I tend to organize my presentations similar to how you would organize, you know, like a, the components of, of a good story, right? So who are the characters, right? What are we talking about here, right? Are we talking about people? 
Um, are we talking about groups of people? Are we talking about a particular geographic area, right? So who's kind of the star of the discussion, right? And you don't need um, a fancy chart to explain that, right? That's fairly well known, right? So in addition to the characters, it's like, you know, what is the setting, of what we're talking about. Are we talking about um, how they behave in a particular marketplace? Are they talking, are we talking about um, you know, the flow of traffic through a retail location? You know, are we talking about what's going on in somebody's mind, right? So it's not only the characters, but what particularly, you know, aspect of those characters' lives are we talking about? And then, of course, there's the plot. And you can kind of see where I'm going here is that there's these kind of components of a story that you can easily align to what's going on from a data perspective, right? So the plot, again, is like what specific aspect of the setting and character are we talking about? Are we talking about spending patterns? Are we talking about campaign ROI, right? Anything like that. And then of course comes to the, the main crux of it is like, what's the conflict here, right? And every story has a conflict. Every story has a protagonist and an antagonist. And in this case, as many times it's like, all right, if we're talking about spending patterns, the conflict is, well, they're down 50%, right? Or we're talking about attrition sure. rates. They're up, you know, a certain amount. That's your conflict. And then ultimately the resolution is what do we do about it, right? And everything else that is described is meant to just support that narrative. And the question is, do I need to put this chart in here? Well, the answer is, does it support what you're saying? Does it clarify what's being discussed or does it just a distraction? And if it's a distraction, get rid of it, right? If it helps, then then include it, right? So it's less about the, the content of the deck, as I mentioned, but more about how it's organized, and how it's kind of discussed. So it's a, it's a subtle, subtle difference. Um, and people may be thinking, well, this is, you know, there's nothing particularly special about this, but I would disagree, having been in many of these types of presentations where there is no coherent story. And at the end of the presentation, people are like, so what do I do? <laughs> you know, if that happens, you've kind of messed up, sure. right? If you kind of take what it is that's going on and align it to those kind of five story components that I mentioned, you know, from characters down to resolution, it's much clearer to understand. And um, it's an easy, it's not that hard to do. And it's incredibly effective in terms of getting your message across. You know, we've been, I've been doing it a lot for a while and it's, it's gained a great deal of traction. And a lot of folks in the organization have adopted this and our clients really seem to like it. So it's just a really clever, unique, simple way to kind of lay down that foundational story and then use the analytics just to support the points that you're making, not to drive the discussion. I understand it's a subtle difference, but I do understand the power, the potential power of it. Um, you know, we're, we're every human being, we're wired for story. We resonate with story. We're sympathetic to story. This is why movies, we're talking about movies, are so powerful. This is why we have books like the Iliad that are 1,000, 2,000 years old, and we still read these things and talk about them. They're so powerful. So this is an age old thing. Um, so what I'm hearing you talk about, isn't that you're creating a story out of the data. You're not taking the data and out pops a story. You're taking the data and organizing it along a more narrative structure. That is correct. Is that but a correct you know, distinction? to your point earlier that there is a data or there is a story that's buried somewhere in there. Right. And that's one of the things that we get hired to do is to find what that story is. Right. Clearly, you walk in knowing like what the problem is in many cases. Right. They hire us to to solve it and to understand it better. So, yes, it is incumbent upon us to find what that story is and then kind of convey it in the simplest way possible. Yeah. So that so that's more interesting in the sense it's faceted, because what I'm hearing is the old approach is. 
we're data scientists, we're analysts, we're going to get in there, we're going to do our uh, hardcore regressions or all these things that we do. I'm not an analyst, so I don't even know if regressions apply. Yes. <laughs> but uh, oh, Fantastic. Look at that. Sure. Um, but uh, then we're going to come back and we're going to give you a scientific presentation on what we found. Right. And, and, and scientists aren't paid to find a story. They're paid to find facts. Correct. Right. This is not the – right. Yeah, we're not, doing, we're not doing heart surgery here. <laughs> right. We're not building right. a nuclear so, power plant. So, yes, I understand. Facts are critical. They're important. But what we do with a fact, you can, you can do all kinds of different things with a fact. So what you're doing is – a, you're going in there, you're doing your hardcore scientific work, but out of that, you're trying to discover the story because in the story, that's going to help me understand where the problem, the opportunity and all that is. And then you're presenting it. So you're finding the story, then you're presenting all this information in more of a narrative format. So it's kind of two layers of story, it sounds exactly. like. Exactly. And uh, I don't want to make, you know, uh, have people think that we don't do those hardcore analytical things. We do. Absolutely. Right? That, but sure. it's behind the scenes. That's not the main story that's it's that's how we get to an answer that's how we help uncover that story and that's what we're hired right. to do but nobody needs the insane detail that goes into that they just have to trust that we've done it right <laughs> not not to not to liken what you're doing to working on a car engine but when i take my car to the the auto mechanic i don't need to hear about all the technical details i mean i want to know like i don't want them to you know i want to kind of know well what was the problem but i want to hear more of the what's in it for me part of it like, like, yeah, that noise is gone and you're going to notice more power. You know, we did a couple things, but, but he's going to understand there's all kinds of technical stuff that happened behind the scenes. I don't need to worry exactly, about that. Exactly. So I'm looking for results. That's, actually, that's a wonderful analogy. I like it a lot. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll be an honorary uh, data an, analyst at the end of this conversation, Done. but I, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. Hey, my guest today is Gary Rosenfeld, and he is a principal at the Alant Group. And um, we're talking about how his approach to data analytics and especially using story is so powerful. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, I want to address the issue of subjectivity around a narrative. I'd be curious to hear how Gary addresses that. But guys, just stick around. We'll be right back after this brief message. Folks, thanks so much for joining me today on this episode of The Currency. Hopefully, you're having as much fun listening as I am interviewing today's guest. We're going to get right back to the show in just a minute, but I want to ask you for two really easy, really quick favors. The first is, if you haven't already, please subscribe. The Currency is delivered weekly, and if you enjoy branding, strategy, marketing, a little bit of entrepreneurship, then this is the show for you. Just go over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, anywhere the find podcasts are provided and hit that subscribe button. You'll get the currency delivered hot and fresh to your digital device of choice every week. Now, the second thing I'm asking is for you to leave a review. It really helps the show get found. Every time someone leaves a review on iTunes or Spotify or any of these platforms, it signals both to the platform and to their audiences that this is a podcast worthy of attention. It helps promote the podcast, and it helps potential listeners know if this is something that they should invest their time in. So if you wouldn't mind, take a moment, subscribe, and leave a review. It helps me out immensely. Now, let's get back to today's show. And 
And we're back. My guest today is Gary Rosenfeld. He is a partner at the Alant Group. And you can follow Gary. Just look for him on LinkedIn. You can just uh, type in G-A-R-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-D-T, Gary Rosenfeld, and give him a holler. Tell him you heard about him on the currency. And also check out the Alant Group. Their website is A-L-L-A-N-T-G-R-O-U-P.com. Gary, welcome back. Thank you. All right. And I, I kind of tease this a little bit, but I, I've been thinking about, as we've talked about story, about subjectivity. I think of there's this uh, famous movie, I think it's called Rashomon by uh, Kurosawa, and it, it, it talks about the subjectivity of story. An event happens, and it interviews all these characters that saw the event happen, and everyone relays the event differently because from their perspective, the story happened differently to their eyes. So how do you safeguard against subjectivity? Do you bump up against complaints of subjectivity when you're dealing with data like you are? Yeah, I'm going to answer that in probably a way that is unexpected. Um, In my view, we are not only hired for our expertise from an analytical perspective, but also for our ability to interpret and bring our own experience to the party. Mm. So um, I make it very clear from the beginning of the engagement all the way to the end, that we're all human. Um, I am going to come up with an interpretation of what I'm seeing, and I'm going to tell that story. Um, In order to kind of minimize, and this rarely happens, but, you know, in order to kind of minimize the idea of me coming up with some crazy, you know, off-the-wall, out-in-left-field story relative to what the client actually thinks is... We kind of address that by making sure that we're engaged with the client throughout the entire process, that it's not a huge surprise, ultimately what we're going to be talking about at the end, right? You want to keep them engaged from the beginning to make sure that we're all kind of on track and there is no misinterpretation. Or if there's some piece of information about the client that we wouldn't necessarily be privy to because we're not in the trenches with them all day long, those are things we would never know. Right. So through that kind of engagement process throughout the entire time, we kind of understand those dynamics and avoid, you know, going way off into left field. But that being said, as I'd mentioned, we bring our experience to the party. And that is in addition to whatever analytical expertise that we have. So we're not just data scientists. We're actually marketers and business people and humans, you know, that have life experiences. And so I willingly and happily uh, insert my own opinions (laughs) into what's going on. (laughs) Right. And that's okay because when we share what we've learned and how we think it should be addressed, this is not a, dictatorial situation where it's like you must do this and then this because this is exactly what's happening and there's no discussion end of story obviously that doesn't happen when we present when we talk it's less us talking than it is a discussion and a debate here is what we saw here is what we did here is our interpretation of that what do you think okay Mm. having it that way and that kind of dynamic allows for people to bring in their own subjectivity, right? Their own perspective. And if through this discussion, things go in a slightly different direction or there's a different interpretation, let's have that debate, right? 
that does, just because my opinion about something is different, say, from the clients, doesn't necessarily mean that they're right or that I'm right, right? Um, as you said, there are many ways to kind of interpret an event and describe it. Um, but getting to the point where we're debating it at that level is exactly what we want, right? We don't want to be spending time talking about the lift of the model, right? Or this particular chart or whatever. We want to talk about the implications of that and properly describing what is going on. So a robust debate about that is wonderful. And really laying out the story in kind of the way I described is a great way to lay that foundation for those kinds of discussions. So I am happy, like I mentioned, to insert my own opinion about these kinds of things. And I'm very clear and transparent about it. And I think every analyst should be. That's part of what we do. We're, you know, it's not just crunching numbers. It's the interpretation part, and you know that's what we're hired for. So that that's my view, <laughs> well, <laughs> for better I, or for worse. I gotta say, no, Gary. I gotta say your your view is um, su- it was surprising. I wasn't expecting that response, but yeah. it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is we live in an age where there's a few dynamics happening. One is we're all at the mercy of the algorithms. You know, just as consumers, we know this is happening more and more that the machines are making decisions on what should be pushed our way and how we should be poked and prodded and so on. Right. But the other dynamic in society is this idea that, um, that, that, that science should make the decisions, meaning the facts should always determine what should happen. And, and it's almost to me like we're stripping the human being out of humanity. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, yes. like this is affecting our society and us as a people and a group and a culture, mm-hmm. but like we're stripping human beings out of it. And what you're saying is no, the data means more. I think you're saying this. Forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth. The data means more and can be more valuable when it has the human element. And that's what you're bringing. You're bringing some subjectivity. And that's okay. You're not trying to advocate. Like, you're not trying to manipulate your client to accept your view. You're putting your view on the table with all your expertise, all the scientific data analytic work that you did. Yeah. And you're saying, let's hash this out. Right. And uh, an example of why taking the human out of the process is problematic because in, in theory, if every decision was based solely on what the data said, then I think no companies would ever have any problems. You know, there is plenty of data, (laughs) you know, if they look at it and it says do X, then they should do X. Right. But that doesn't happen because you have to interpret it. There's no way around it. Right. And it's um, a bit of a yeah. fallacy, too, because human beings write the algorithms. Hum, yes. Human beings, like there's some human opinion somewhere in that system. Mm-hmm. We just don't admit it to ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Kudos to you. I really I am excited. Like you're taking something that's troubling a little bit, I think, and and has some moral ethical questions attached with this idea of how do we use data mm-hmm. and, and you're rehumanizing it and you're repurposing it in a way that that's powerful. It actually what I hear is you're equipping your clients to have more fruitful, useful discussions and arguments and, and collaborations around what yes. does this data mean and get yeah. to a better place. Absolutely. Having those debates is like, as I mentioned, is the ultimate place to be. When you get to that level, you know that you've succeeded because these, the, the client is now engaged. They understand what's going on. And now we're debating, what do we do about it? And that, those kinds of robust debates are the best ones to have and tend to yield um, the best results. You know, as we're talking about these debates, can you provide maybe an example? And I understand you typically, I'm guessing, work under an NDA. This is, mm-hmm. you know, you're 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 in someone's uh, deep dark 
uh, hard drives here. <laughs> right. Uh, but but that said, could you maybe in general terms give us an example of where someone came to you with a problem, you were able to take this approach and leverage it, and and what the outcome of that was for them as yeah. opposed to if they'd gone a traditional route? Yeah, um, I think probably uh, – let me think here. Yeah, a, a good, I think here's a good example, right? So, uh, and it's it's a fairly broad one because, uh, and it will include kind of the, the various components that we're talking about here. So, it was less of a um, we have a problem and more of a we need to understand you know what's going on within our business kind of a situation, right? So it was a, a kind of a, a more a broader, more vague mandate, okay? And it was for a um, you know a, a mid-size um, insurance provider. Um, that I don't, and I don't need to get into the specifics, but they kind of create these these discount cards or whatever that allow you to kind of get discounts on insurance related products. And um, they have been kind of struggling to to grow, um, both from a um, kind of the number of you know insurance that they have you know under the under on the books, um, to also the profitability of the ones that they do have. Um, and that's kind of a function of the demographics of these of these folks, right? So this kind of situation is one of my favorites uh, because, again, it is broad and it really, really allows you to kind of craft a really strong and kind of epic, you know, big narrative you know, around what's going on, right? But given the vagueness of it, it's very difficult to zero in on specific things that are really important, right? Because there's so many things that you're talking about all at once. And we, you know, we could talk about their spending patterns. We could talk about how often the payments that they make for their premiums actually get, you know, made through, you know, the money's actually there. Um, all sorts of kind of different issues from a transactional perspective that we can talk about. Um, so that's kind of a, a really the, the best kind of real world case where this type of, you know, storytelling is important, right? So this was kind of all about understanding like who these customers are and what makes them tick and why, you know, um, the, the company is having some kind of issues from a profitability and growth perspective, right? So in order, yes, I could show, I could have showed a million different charts with, you know, showing the age distribution of these folks and the income distribution and how that's changed over time. And that's all well and good. And, and to be honest with you, full transparency, I did have a couple of those that I threw them in the appendix because nobody needs to get into that level of detail unless you want to. But this was a situation where, yeah, I was kind of crafting a persona to some degree, you know, which everybody should be familiar with. And, you know, laying that out in terms of who these folks are from a demographic perspective, you know, what's their typical age, you know, and what do people of that particular age do, right? Um, how does that translate into, you know, how they, you know, engage from a, uh, a transactional perspective and their ability to pay their bills and those kinds of things, right? So this was a, um, it was a great situation to kind of describe these folks in that manner rather than just kind of getting into the heavy duty statistics about, all right, here's, you know, here's the average age, here is the, what percentage are female, here's what percentage are male, is you talk about them kind of as if they're kind of a single unit, right? And getting into, and this is where kind of the, the nuance comes in, is, and the subjectivity, is that's where I will kind of stop and say, all right, we've kind of described your, your overall customer base here. That's kind of the characters that we're talking about, right? It's this type of, you know, this type of person, and this is where they typically live. And now we know that 
their kind of transactional patterns tend to be problematic. So that's kind of your, your plot in conflict, right? Um, and again, there's many ways to arrive at that particular conclusion, but at the end of the day, it's all about they're not spending enough and they're not reliable in making their payments, okay? Yes, we had to do a lot of statistics and analysis to get to that conclusion, but that's at the end of the day, that's the problem, right? The socioeconomic situation of these folks kind of is difficult and they tend to, you know, not have the resources available to kind of pay their bills on time for better or for worse. And, and this, this yeah. client wasn't aware of that dynamic at this point? Not necessarily. Um, they wow, had some okay. idea, but again, what we bring to the party is this kind of information about these folks that we can use to craft that story. So yeah, they had all this transactional information. They didn't really understand why the problem was or how big it was. And to be honest, you know, I could, again, I could get into the details of how we kind of arrived at that particular conclusion, but they have a broad range of demographic customers and really the, the folks in this particular socioeconomic status tend to be the problem relative to their, their size of the overall customer base. Right. So, um, Laying it out and kind of, you know, these are the, this is the character that we're talking about. This is the type of person. We're talking about their spending patterns, right? We're talking about their socioeconomic status, okay? And I don't need a single fancy chart to, to say that, right? Yeah, I can have some statistics here and there or just some numbers, but really at this point, it's kind of just me up there describing what's going on. And if somebody asks, well, how did you arrive to that conclusion? Yeah, I'll have a slide somewhere that I can reference. And then I say, okay, that makes sense. And then we get on with our lives. It's not. That's like, a footnote. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't. It, yes, it matters. But there's a certain level of trust, obviously, when somebody hires us that we know what we're doing and we make these conclusions that are correct. But then the debate begins. That's where the subjectivity comes in, where I say, I'm guessing that the reason because, you know, that they're not you know, paying their bills is because of X, Y and Z. And then we have a discussion. Okay. Um, and then we know that this is all good because they've already kind of accepted the baseline description of what we're talking about here. They've already accepted the problem that we've identified. And now we're kind of talking about, oh, gosh, what do we do about it? Which is exactly where we want to be. Right. So hmm. that we, we do that a lot with these with with clients. And some of them are more kind of specific than others. But this as being a kind of a broader example of how telling the story in that kind of fashion, rather than letting the data and the um, the charts drive the narrative, get up there, say what your opinion is, say what you learned and then have that debate. That's exactly kind of what we had done. You could have presented a lot of data. What you did is you had to figure out what what's there's a lot of there are a lot of stories in here. Which one is most important? Mm -hmm. So, so part of the choice was choosing not to tell other stories that data probably told, yes. which story is most relevant. Mm -hmm. um, then you share the story. Now, now you can have a discussion. What do we do about it? So, so just out of curiosity, what did the client decide to do? Like what impact did this have? Oh, they completely changed actually their, uh, the, the, the various kind of marketing channels that they use for uh, acquisition purposes, right? So one of the outcomes um, was some, or I should say resolution to kind of keep on, my, on the story theme was that their kind of traditional legacy methods uh, for generating new customers was basically just um, a dupl duplicating the types of customers that they already had, right? Exacerbating and the problem. Exacerbating the yeah. problem. And again, uh, I'm being overly simplistic here, but you know, who, who, who responds to a print advertisement versus a digital display or versus an email? Mm -hmm. you, I guarantee you there's an age component included in that, <laughs> right? And a lifestyle sure, component sure. included in that, right? So if they're looking for a different type of customer, they're going to have to alter their approach of acquisition. And that's ultimately what they ended up doing was, okay, we need to kind of broaden out how our outreach is done 
and what channels we're using and how we're messaging these things. Um, and yes, I can't get the specific specifics, but it worked well. They got a completely different profile of customer that's actually much more profitable and actually pays their, their bills on time. So it's all good. As a marketer listening to this, that's transformational. You, yeah. you help transform their business without you even telling me. I know that you helped transform that business. Now, that's interesting because if you had come with the old model, you would have presented a lot of different data points and a lot of different pieces of information. Mm -hmm. And I've been in these kinds of meetings before. If you've got 10 people in the room, there's going to be 10 different opinions on which piece of data we should care about. Mm -hmm. So you kind of took that off the table, which in some ways you go, well, that's dangerous. Why are you making that decision? But on the other hand, based on your experience, you're able to say, look, I think this is the story that matters. And I think these are the details of the story. And by doing that, you help them focus, which I think is great. Yeah. And I think the other thing is you cue them up. So let's say they go, look, we agree with you. This is the problem. They're already equipped to start solving the problem. Because, because of the picture you've painted helps them see, well, this is what the world should like and look like in the future. Exactly. So you kind of give them a bit of a, a, a direction forward. Right. And it, yeah. And the, the, this, the reason, and the other reason I kind of chose this as an example was the, the CEO of this company, um, we love him. He's, a, he's an awesome guy, but he's not statistically sophisticated. And so it goes without saying the whole know your audience, you know, that everybody, every, you know, marketing lecture begins with know who you're talking to, right? Clearly that, that applies here. So there was no way that we were going to go in there and show anything statistically related because it was, his head was going to explode, right? So we had to do it in this way and it worked really, really well. Otherwise he would have, he's that kind of guy that was going to be like question every single number on every chart. And we'd, we'd be two hours in and be on slide two, right? And that's just not where we want to be. But one thing I do want to address is that, yes, I did make kind of the executive decision of what story to tell, what information to leave out. But as I mentioned earlier, we didn't do this in a vacuum. There was engagement along the way, right? So we don't like, as I mentioned, we don't like presenting anything that's a surprise. They should see it coming. They should have an idea of what's happening, right? So... They knew the direction that we were ultimately going to go and were cool with it up to that point. You know what I'm saying? So it, we didn't we didn't just blow them away that way. Yeah, it wasn't like a big reveal where you pull the curtain off. Right, and, right. This uh, is not a game show. You know, this is a collaborative effort here. You know, we're trying to reach a consensus on a resolution, not us dominating what's going on and just leaving them in the dark and doing like a big, you know, like you said, like a reveal at the end. That's not what we're here to do. Sure. So, yeah. I, I think, you know, that's, it's wise just from an account management perspective, because it's easier to manage a client when they, and this is just, I'm being pr very pragmatic, yeah. very easy to manage a client when you're letting them in on the game. But I think it's more respectful too, because what you're doing is you're saying, let me take you along for the journey. I'm not going to throw this at you at the end, because if I throw it at you at the end, you're not going to have any context. You're not going to have any tools right. to judge the work. But if you're with me through the process, you can judge the work better because you can say, no, I've. I've participated, I've seen what you've been doing, and I know how we got here. Yeah. Versus pulling their blindfold off and saying, Ta-da, we're at, you know, it's welcome to your vacation. <laughs> right. Like, I didn't want to go here. Why did you why'd you bring right. me here? And if that happens, you're kind of I'm trying to think about what you're you're it's not a good situation. I was I almost swore there for a second. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to you, you want to avoid that in, at all costs, yeah. right? You want to make sure that they're okay with what's being done along the way, you know, and that just makes the whole process um, you know, a whole lot easier. So yeah. Spot this is great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know it can be tricky sharing client information, but that was really helpful, I think, for the listeners and for me to kind of put our mind around what does this look yep. like. Gary, if you were to advise marketers, you know, I've got folks that are entrepreneurs, they have marketing professionals, agency owners, different people that are involved mm -hmm. 
in branding, marketing strategy, and execution on a day-to-day basis. What are some things that you think they should be thinking about if they want to become more fluent, more comfortable in taking the advantage of data? And the reason I ask, this company, you would think they knew that they had a certain segment that was hurting them in a sense, the business model. And I guess maybe they did know on some level, but that it was there in the data. Someone needed to get in there and discover what was already true. So I just recognizing how important it is to, to leverage data. What are some things you advise marketers to be thinking about and doing these days? Oh gosh, where do I start there? So, um, and it's wide open. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a couple of, you know, a couple of ways to kind of approach this. So let's, let's just take them one at a time as they pop into my head. So uh, obviously the, the first one is, um, there is a, and I'm going to take this actually from the perspective of say a, um, a manager in an analytic group and the type of skill set that they are looking for to kind of build that analytic team. So then let me tell you what I mean by that. As I kind of started, you know, the discussion early on um, that historically, you know, the, the data scientists and the analysts are, are, you know, very focused on the statistics, you know, and the methodologies and all that other wonderful stuff. And that's a, an obviously a critical skill set. Um, but throughout their career, as they kind of get better at coding, right, and get better at, you know, learning new analytical techniques, um, make sure you actually engage with the the marketing folks at your organization to see how they're translating what it is you're doing into a marketing strategy, um, how the model that you built uh, impacted, you know, um, some marketing campaign and how, you know, the consumers responded to that, right? To see kind of those real world, you know, outcomes to what you did. Get away, get out from behind your computer monitor <laughs> and engage with those marketing folks and go see what your customers are doing, what they're thinking. Go into a store, right? Um, you know, go to a, you know, a customer meeting or facilitate some, just talk to these people and see that that human side. I know this kind of sounds wishy-washy and kind of fluffy or whatever, but no, it's, it doesn't yeah, to me. But, um, you, a, and a data scientist who only knows how to build models and statistics, that's fine, but you're really limited in what you what value you can ultimately provide you know to the client because yeah they want you to do all that stuff but as i had mentioned they 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 want you they want your opinion they want your experience they want your interpretation whether they say they want it or not um and so unless you kind of get away from that computer and go engage with customers and understand what's going on it's going to be incredibly difficult to kind of craft that story because you don't you've never seen it firsthand you know or just draw on your own experiences as a consumer right because we're all every time we walk down the street or listen to the radio or turn on the TV there's some algorithm in the background that told me that, that told the TV to play this commercial at this particular time because I happen to be watching right um, so there is data behind that but you in front of the TV and how you engage is what ultimately you know the end game is so the I guess it's <laughs> kind of a long-winded way of saying you know you know, learn your craft right but um, understand what that kind of real world impact is, you know, either through, you know, customer engagement or, or other ways to kind of get away from that computer. So to me, that's, you know, a critical piece, right? I love it. It's like, go, go see how your work product is being used. Yes, exactly. Because I'm, I'm, that's going to inform what you deliver the next mm-hmm. time and the next time, the next yeah. time. Sure. That is fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, and the other one, and, and this is, uh, forgive me, uh, is that is read, go see movies, watch TV, but 
figure out why I'm being, why am I, why do I like this movie or why, why did this podcast entertain me or why did this TV show entertain me? You know, what was it that made this an interesting and compelling story? And think about how I can leverage that in what I do in my own job. Mm-hmm. And I know that requires a bit of motivation. And I'm not saying that you should, you know, sit down at every movie in the theater with a notepad saying, oh, OK, here's what, <laughs> you know, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, think about what motivates you and what compels you and why. Right. Uh, because that's what you want to do to your clients. You want to motivate and compel them to take some kind of action. So if that stuff works in the entertainment world, it can certainly work here. And as I mentioned, there are definitely common things across both um, that can be leveraged. What would you advise? That, that's excellent. That's excellent stuff. What would you advise for someone on the other side? A lot of us marketing people are fluffy and squishy and not data scientists and not data oriented, you know. So what would you advise folks like us to start getting more comfortable in leveraging and using data. Yeah, I, I, and that really comes, I think what you're asking is the notion of how does the analytics group work with the marketing team, right? So my, and I'm, and I'm probably oversimplifying this or maybe taking this to the extreme, right? But what I've seen is you have the marketing folks that are so convinced of their own brilliance and that their hunches are absolutely correct. And if you show me data that is contradictory, well, you're just wrong, that happens a lot because they're going because uh, my gut because I'm it's my gut I make the big bucks with my gut yes. and my gut tells me I'm right, right. yeah and I in many you. cases they may very well be right right but to kind of reject contradictory information out of hand is problematic right so it kind of goes sure. both ways when you think about it right now that I'm kind of talking out loud here is that yeah the analysts have a responsibility to kind of understand how the marketers think but it also works the other way is that the marketers have to understand how their recommendations were arrived at and how to kind of reconcile any contradictions that may come into play, right? So having that skill set, um, having that open mind, understanding the, um, the, uh, the processes and techniques that the data science teams go through, that there is no button on the computer that says uh, regression analysis, go. There is, it's a lot more involved in that. It takes time. Um, interpretations need to go into that. Assumptions need to go into that. And so the more those kind of teams work together and understand what it is they do and their contributions to the whole, uh, the better everything will be, right? So there's responsibilities on both sides. Gary, so well said. My guest today has been Gary Rosenfeld. He is a principal at the Elant Group. He is a data scientist, a strategic marketer, and a genius. I've really enjoyed this conversation, <laughs> Gary, and, and I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you so much for being a guest today on The Currency. Thank you, Mike. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you did. And, and, I, and I guess I'll ask this question before we wrap up here. If people, if marketers want to engage analysts, are they welcome to reach out to you? I know we, we put your uh, LinkedIn information out there, but are you, are you open to talking to people that want to learn more? Yes, and I, I hope that through the last hour or so that it was clear that I, I enjoy talking about this. I have a passion for it. I think it's important from an industry growth perspective. So yes, I would be happy to discuss this in any format to anybody at any time. I just find it a fascinating, interesting topic. So yes. Well, your, your passion is definitely clear and it's, it's, uh, it's catching. I, I really enjoy how much you love what you do and how much you believe in it. So folks, if you'd like to get in touch with Gary, you can check him out at the Alant Group. Just go to their website, A-L-L-A-N-T group.com. I'll put a link to that in the show description, show notes. You can also find him on LinkedIn. Just look for Gary Rosenfeld. That's G-A-R-R-Y. 
R-O-S-C-N-F-E-L-D-T. Send them an invite and uh, start up a conversation. Gary, thanks again for being a guest on The Currency. What a fantastic conversation. And uh, I'd love to be able to talk to you again soon in the future. Um, It's just really interesting to see what you're doing with data. So thank you. You got it. My pleasure. Thank you. Guys, before we say goodbye, just take a moment. And uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Currency. You can find this podcast anywhere fine podcasts are provided. Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. Yes, everywhere. I'm serious. You can find us everywhere. So take a moment, hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for your time. I love you guys. And I'll catch you in the next episode.